Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Chris. Three weeks late. Hello, listeners. <laughs> it's already the end of January. Oh, We're it's rolling around it's, to it now. So it's sometimes, Marie, you wish you could go back in time. Well, I've been at the gym. I've been busy. I've been working out and lifting weights. So I've, you know, that's how time flies. No, I haven't. I've been watching TV. I, I, I don't know what to believe. I don't know what to believe, Marie. I don't know what to believe. Believe the laziest possible story, because that's the one that's going to be true. Fascinating. It's good times. Mm-hmm. It's good times. Mm-hmm. Dear listeners, this episode, we are digging in, pun intended, to the <laughs> story of Heinrich Schliemann. Schliemann. Yes. Yes. The the man who found Troy, single-handedly by the sweat of his brow and from a storybook given to him by his father, found the great lost city of Troy. And all then, by himself, right? And then... Totally with just... Yeah. just oh, no. Just, and then he gave it all back to the people. Right, in rubble. All right, Jake, roll the tape. <laughs> I hope my sarcasm was evident. <laughs> In case I think somebody's it was. like, dang, think are they going to be all, they're going to be pro Schleeman? I didn't expect Oh my this God, they're, pro, they're um, pro Schleeman. They're no, pro I think we're pro Schleemanists. Pro or anti Schleeman. <laughs> oh my, uh, my God. Yeah, listeners. So last episode, we talked about, we talked about just kind of the general, um, just the general history of this site that we come to know as Hisarlik and Troy. And we kind of edged around this idea that there was this, this guy who finds it, although it wasn't ever really lost, but he finds it for the West and is immediately, you know, like, like, uh, like we like to do, mm-hmm. um, you know, and like, like I do col- colonialist. Well, right? I was going to say, yeah, like I do every time I discover a new town, I immediately act like I'm the first person to ever find it. And just oh, yeah. completely ignore yeah. the people living there already. So exactly, um, Heinrich Schliemann or anyone is, else who's ever heard of it, like Portland, right? Oh my God, have you? Portland's awesome. I'm sorry, new to Portland. So Heinrich Schliemann is an interesting figure because, so first off, he's a lot of the big museums you've been to, and a lot of the big, uh, a lot of what you think of. And if you're not, if besides like Jeb Card and like a couple of other people stick to this show who are actual archaeologists, unless you know how archaeology actually happens and kind of the history behind it and everything else, um, you know, a, a lot of what you think of as archaeology is what this guy helped to kind of build and create. Yes. And it's intensely damaging. <laughs> not and not great. So, Marie, let's start off with uh, let's start off with the. The life yeah. of Heinrich Schliemann. So there's two different there's two different stories for Schliemann, right? There's the story that is, again, with the capital S, which is what he has put forward as the narrative of who he was and what his, you know, what his values and morals were and how this this romanticized notion, again, that is very colonial and is 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 a lot of myth and uh, that led him, you know, led him to this discovery. 
And then there's who he actually was based on facts and historical events and, like I said, like facts, right? So, And the two things, you know, you try and – we were joking with Chris. I was – you know, we're trying to find somebody where the, the, the those two things match up neatly with one another and this is just not – this is just not the case. So the big – the story, capital S with Schliemann, was that – at a very young age, when he was seven years old, he was given a book, a history book by his father. And in it were these pictures of Troy and that he saw these pictures of Troy burning. And that was that was his genesis to want to to want to fall in love with sort of this this the mythology that surrounds ancient Greece and to find this lost city and rediscover it and its heritage and its especially its treasure based on the uh, based on Homer. Um, his father, again, story says, was a clergyman, and he, at a young age, installed a very strong work ethic in his son. And so he was a uh, Schliemann was an apprentice to a grocer, um, and in this grocer's shop, he was he. That's when he first. Uh, learned and heard Greek, the spoken word, and that Homer was one of the stories that he heard at this very young age in a grocer's, in the grocer's shop, which I, you know, again, when I'm at Safeway, I know it's different. I know it's a different day and age, but uh, you're not hearing a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of the classicists in your, in grocery stores is my, is my thought. So he was several years uh, in working as sort of a grocery clerk. Um, and then he decided to immigrate. And so to do so, he became a cabin boy on a ship. He was um, in Germany, in Hamburg. And so he, uh, in, I, I want to say enlisted, but he signed on as a cabin boy for a ship bound from Hamburg to Venezuela. And again, the story, like for me, that's sort of a big so that's that in itself should be the origin story. But this vessel wrecked off the Dutch coast and he became uh, out of his wreck. He then became an office boy or a bookkeeper for a trading firm in Amsterdam. Right. Right. And so he's got this auspicious, almost Hamilton-esque, right, upbringing of like, you know, he came from a humble background and he had, uh, you know, a. Uh, he he historically they do he i think it is true that he had a passion and an aptitude for languages and that right, he yeah, could yeah. yeah yeah it seems like so it seems like he like Marie's saying there's the two stories of Schliemann there's the the heroic story that he himself tells mm-hmm. i guess there's only three right like with any with like with any good Uh-oh. public figure there's always three stories right there's the heroic story that this person themselves says and is likely to become a, you know, like a biopic film, right? Mm-hmm. Then there is the real, the 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 kind of gritty, um, less than positive view of the person that usually that film is rebooted 10 to 20 years after the initial biopic, right? So think like, you know, um, you know, that's just kind of the way that that happens, right? Bill Cosby. And, right, right. <laughs> oh, my God. 
And then, and then, and then, and then there's the 2020 truth. was looking so good. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's, and then there's the truth that kind of sits in the middle, right? There's because, the you know, truth? well, so, okay. Yeah. There's never like actually truth. Right. But it's fa- like, like, it's crazy to me that shipwreck actually happened. Well, so yeah. So it's like, again, That's nuts. Well, you have sort of these this huge gray area, right? Where I mean, it, that in itself should be enough of a story, but that's that is him at fourteen. And again, it's almost like I said, it's like Hamilton esque. It's like okay, he came from poverty. He you know bootstrapped himself up as a young German boy. He had this passion for languages. He had this this you know photographic memory, and he had energy. He had determination. You know, he had sort of this 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 love of life um and he basically was self-taught on top of everything else right, right. So, but then the truth yeah. but then the true story the true story or the let's say the gritty reboot story so okay so he becomes he becomes a cabin boy the shipwreck happens he then starts working for this dutch import export company which hmm? I, I mean I don't think there's anything in this story specifically about this, but like Dutch import export companies around the 18, uh, 1850s, 1860s when he was working, maybe not some of the most great places to work um, just from like a moral standpoint. But well, yeah, anyways, their, their import and their exports were questionable. Uh, yeah. Like ivory or like not that long ago, people or like, you know, kind of rough. Right. But um, but he eventually becomes. He eventually gets posted. He goes to Russia, right? This company sends him to Russia. And then he he actually ends up going to America where his brother is living in California, right? Where he's living in somewhere in the West where there's a gold rush. The gold rush is occurring. Right? So it's like, again, you have this massive backstory. He's in St. Petersburg, right? Which is in 1846 in St. Petersburg, which uh-huh. is a pretty interesting time to be there. He found he founded his own business. And again, he, you know, invested his own money into the indigo trade at that time. He gets married and he basically then before he comes to America, he makes a fortune from this business. But then also uh, it's during the time of the Crimean War. So and they he's known at that time as air quoting a military contractor. So we'll go into that, like, you know, that we'll go into that in the, you know, in the the more truthful version of the story. But that should be enough right there. Again, like he's in St. Petersburg. He's make he's making quite a bit of money. Um, you know, he's married. But now, like Chris was saying, he all of a sudden is coming to the United States to become a U.S. citizen. Right. And so insane. Right. And so when he gets here. Right. When he comes here in the 1850s, like late 1850s, and he becomes a. So for so okay. So first off, we kind of we kind of glossed over this. He gets married in Russia in yes. 1852 to Yekaterina Lyshin, Um, makes all of his money, comes to the United States in the late 1850s and basically retires. Um, He's 36. Yeah, he retires at 36 because. Somehow he retires at 36, right? Like, he's made all this money. He's made all this crazy yeah. amounts of money and everything else. 
you know, shipping and sending things, um, you know, <laughs> make them sound like a like a FedEx or something. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. kind, kind of, right? Sense. Like, sort of. I mean, He's not really. In the import export business. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's a little bit more questionable than that, but fine, right? Yeah. But so yeah. he, um, so thirty six, he's made enough money that he decides I'm going to focus all of my efforts on my lifelong dream, which has always been in my passion, which has always been ex- exploration and archaeology. And so at 36, he decides he's going to use all of his money to do that. Now that's, that's kind of the good story up to the point, up to this point in his life. Yes. The real story or, or kind of, I guess the gritty reboot story, <laughs> you know, the one where what, you know, Joaquin Phoenix will play Schleeman. Oh God. Um, help me. Don't even get me turns out. My- so, so first off, first off, he didn't come from the humble beginnings that he came from. It's not mm-hmm. like, you know, it, they're not it's not humble. It's not humble upbringing because his father was this like pious pastor. And they lived in this, you know, uh, they lived mm-hmm. in this German town or whatever. So his father was a was a, a minister and was corrupt. Yes, he so, embezzled church funds. Right. So, so you were tithing to the church, you were giving money to the church, and he was using that money for personal means. Yes. Um, yes. And this isn't necessarily his son's fault. No, of course right? not. Of course not. But, right. But it's through but, that it's through yeah. that money that Schleeman is educated as a child. So well, he has to leave school. He doesn't get to university. He has to leave school because. He does have to find employment because right because his father's embezzlement is found out. His, right, yeah, and there's the the stigma that naturally would go with that. That you know, you've you basically embezzled your neighbors. You're not going to want to stick around. Yeah, but that's kind of like saying Kylie Jenner is the you know the most wealthy self made. <laughs> you know, yeah, kind of. I guess, and the name isn't great, and it you know maybe some people will turn their noses up at you or whatever. But a lot more so people are just the, willing to take Kylie your money. Jenner? Yes. Of archaeology, Kylie- yes. Oh I would say that is an accurate I would say that, oh. that is an accurate claim. Oh so, that is the best you know, pop culture reference so far. He, yes. he claims, you know, so he'll claim, oh, I, I brought myself up by these bootstraps or anything else, whatever. All that's oh, that's all hogwash, right? He um he does have to take a job, but again, it's not like he was working the fields, right? The guy was a he was a kind of um yeah. He did menial tasks. Right. He did menial tasks, but still menial tasks that somebody who is educated uh, and is able to take at this time. Right. This is the 18. These are like the 1830s, 1840s when he's doing these menial tasks. Right. There are still people like working the fields alongside donkeys. You know what I mean? Like this is like like it's, you know, Abraham Lincoln uh, 30, you know, 30 years before this grew up in a legitimate log cabin. So this okay, so this is I yes, I'll I'll give you that. And this is like you know before you know uh, industrial revolution is happening at this time. So like you still have child labor, you still have some real, you know, some yeah. real menial tasks. Yeah, but his is I would say was if he was, but he was a cabin boy. He did he did get shipwrecked. Which is pretty crazy, um, but he's right, still coming right. no, out of that. He listen, still was able to. It's somewhere in know. the middle, right? And Kylie Jenner has had a really hard time with <laughs> lip fillers recently. 
I've heard. I don't. So, I, do you know how much money? Just really quickly, as a quick subway. I know we're going to get back to talking about archaeology in Detroit, but how much money she's made? She's like a billionaire now. Oh, Marie, because of that. Marie, there are there are guinea pigs I follow on Instagram that make more money than I do. Well, no, I'm not not in reference to us or anything in particular. I'm just sort of like more shocked at the idea. Like I was reading it online, and I don't know, you know. Like, you just, again, you expect a certain amount of gravitas, or maybe this is my naivete, right? You expect a certain amount of, like, I don't know, somebody more befitting of, like, uh, Angela Merkel or somebody who is, you know, the head of the uh, International Monetary Fund or something to be talking about, like, you know, how the... You know, how do how do you make money? How do you make investments? Whatever. No, and I'm like, how no. how is Kylie Jenner a billionaire? And no, but then because, as soon as the words come out of my mouth, I'm like, because I'm an idiot. That's why. Yeah, That's no, why. yeah. Why yeah. isn't she a millionaire? Where have I been? Okay. Anyway, sorry. That was my uh that was my little diet. No, yeah. The goal my, I think the the American the goal the goal, Marie, since the time of Schleeman has been to become rich enough that your kids can be dumb enough. To still make a billion dollars, but not have to work really hard. Well, yes, to live off of to live off your name. A hot take. Anyways, all right. So, um, so, so that so yeah. So there is definitely there's gray here though. You know, and I mean again, you know, again, there's gray with all these stories, right? I'm sure Kylie Jenner is a very good businesswoman. You know, like whatever, it's fine. Um, the challenge, the challenge here is. Again, he's telling this story. This guy loves the Homeric epics. And he's trying yes. to turn his life into a Homeric epic. And some parts of it are legitimately crazy. The shipwreck is nuts. The fact that he even decided to go to Venezuela during this time period is like that's a that's such yeah. a tremendous undertaking on a sh- again, it's a wooden ship. They don't, you know, we did our history of surgery series. They're not that long since they knew how surgery was supposed to happen or antiseptic, no, man, you know, antiseptic technique or any of that other cut. stuff, right? Yeah. Um, uh, they're uh. still wondering how you're getting, how they're getting scurvy and stuff. Like this is serious. This is a serious challenge that he decides to take up. So there, there are um, positive things about this person's life. So anyways, he, so he makes mm-hmm. all of his money. And again, he would say in his, I guess, positive the people who would take a look positively at his, at his history would say that he makes all of his money as a importer and exporter during the Crimean War. Right. Yes. Um, yes. Which is basically a nice way of saying he's a war profiteer. Right. And so the for the Crimean War, for those that don't know, um, it's this it's the war that's in uh, War and Peace. Mm-hmm. Um. Or no, uh, War and Peace. Um, Tolstoy. Tolstoy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The one in Tolstoy. Um, So it's it's essentially a uh, a huge war between essentially the Russians, the Ottomans, the French, the English, and uh, the Spanish. Right? So you have like the Russians on one side and everyone else on the other side. Yeah, you got a lot of opportunities to make money. So he was selling... Munitions. Right. And it's the it's really it's World War One is often considered kind of the first war where modern warfare happens. But but in many ways, it's the Crimean War. Um, the Crimean War is the first time that we're using uh, really naval weapons in the way that we would come to think of them. It's the first time that we're going to have a war where a railroad is a really a possibility on a large scale. Right. Um, it, it's a bloody, terrible war. Right. It, yes. It goes on. He made for, a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. It goes on for two years. Um, it's a rough it's a rough time. Right. And so um, 
this is also the war that Napoleon the second is uh is is part of right so for your yes. for those of you who know your French history very well anyways um so it's it's a huge it's it's something of a scandal right I mean this guy becomes a war profiteer and then immediately flees i mean flees to America is kind of the wrong word, but he it's kind of a heavy connotation. He's going to handle his brother's estate. Who he his brother died in California during the gold rush. So he, you know, that is the the reason that it is given for him, you know, again, he's he's all of he's under 40. He's married um, you know, to his first wife for now. And America looks good. I mean, he's got all this money. He's traveled He's, you know, he's educated himself at the Sorbonne either before or after he was in America. So, I mean, he's got nothing but he's he's nothing but liquid. And he comes to, you know, and he he shows up in in California. Right. And I think my favorite personal story was that uh, he did. So um, he claims that he was um, he claims that he was actually there for the 1851 fire that destroyed San Francisco, right? And mm-hmm. that he describes this in detail, this disaster that he was an eyewitness to. And again, he was actually in Sacramento. And like all of his accounts of it came from newspapers, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like he had this ability to embellish himself into historical events and have it have some kind of uh, credibility, which is amazing to me. It's like, again, like he didn't even, how could like, how could you sell yourself with that? And, and, you know, you're bearing witness to, you know, this horrific period in American history, all of these lives, you know, San Francisco on fire and, you know, but he was there for that. Um, he also, during this time, knowing that gold rush was happening and also knowing that, uh, you know, he he had a good nose for making money. He opened a book. He opened a bank in Sacramento. He traded in gold and buying gold dust from miners and selling it back to um, interests in San Francisco. So there was about an 18 month period that he operated this bank. And during that time, he handled about two million dollars, which is a fair amount of gold dust. However, just like any kind of good, you know, uh, like any kind of good, uh, any kind of good businessman. Um, and what we know of him is that he actually was accused of selling or sending short weights to the gold dust buyers. Oh my God, no way. What? He was that embezzling funds. No way. No he way. He basically was embezzling. I mean, short weight, you know, again, like he, he was, he was, you know, skimming a little off the top is what it sounds like. But again, I mean, even in this day and age, 18 months, year and a half, $2 million. That's not bad. No, that's, that's crazy. That's not bad. No. That's not, you know, that's a lot of money going through with zero amount of, again, you know, mid-1800s, zero amount of infrastructure to be able to, to you know, your everything's being hand calculated. It's To me, that's just, that's insane that somebody could come in and... You know, he's already accumulated all this wealth and he just it just flocks to him. That's no, the thing it's... that I'm like, that's insane. Um, but then again, you know, so he and I'm wrong. He wasn't married at this time, 
But so, you know, well, as soon so as people what? started to be like, they were like, hey, you know, this this doesn't add up. He's like, see ya, and hoofs it back to Russia. Right. Well, so technically, I think at this point he was, he got divorced, right, to Ekaterina Lyshin. Or he basically said to her, or does that happen no, later? This, so this, he, he goes back to Russia. To oh, and he marries Carolina. her in Russia. Oh, okay, okay. Yes. Got it, okay. But he's like, but he's like, hey, but you know what? I am still a resident and a U.S. citizen. So I'm a U.S. Mm. citizen. Mm-hmm. I'm a U.S. citizen. I'm just going back. I'm getting married. You know, it's a, it's the daughter, again, a daughter of a Russian businessman. I'm going to get married. And so he's, he basically goes back. And this is, this is, again, you see he, that he's, I, the Crimean War. Um, he profiteers off of the civil war in the U.S. Um, and is basically just making money hand over fist in some very nefarious ways. Right. And so That's basically the best way of putting it. Speaking of making money hand over fist, Marie, <gasps> we're going to have what? a little break for our sponsor. Sweet. Hey Hey there! there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Sleepover Cinema, Cinema. our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are we are always unpacking that very question on sleepover cinema check out sleepover cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com see you soon marie i was thinking speaking of greek words i don't know when a good way to gingerly put this into the show would be what's your favorite Hmm. greek what's your favorite greek food marie uh, ooh, oh my God. Spanakopita. No, okay. I can't say that because it's good. It's good okay. to say. Spanakopita. That, that is uh-huh. good. I cannot say that word. So when I want it, what I tell my wife that I want is Spanktopia. <laughs> Which I know isn't how you say it, but it's how I've read it in my head since I was a child. Spanktopia? Spanktopia. So Spanktopia. Here's the thing is. Your pronunciation and your ability to read humongous words is phenomenal. I mean, it is so good. I'm, I am always amazed at your ability to do this. And you're telling me that the one that's stumping you is leaving you with spanktopia. Yeah, it's a word and it's food. Anyways, <laughs> all right. So Schleiman, uh, Schleiman goes back to Russia. He. Gets married to this this businesswoman's daughter or businessman's daughter, I should say. Um, then decides, okay, well, I'm gonna start doing all my diggings, right? <laughs> so he yeah. wants he wants to become an archaeologist, and he's wanted to be an archaeologist forever. And so he starts off kind of um, he he like builds an education for himself. Mm-hmm. Problem mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. Like we see with a lot of these series, and I mean, Bigelow is a good example. A lot of the people in the Bigelow series mm-hmm. were a good example mm-hmm. of that. Um, mm-hmm. History of Surgery was a good example. Anytime, anytime you have somebody 
who kind of teaches themselves how to do something that with that for for other people there is a rigorous standardized set of trainings that have to occur it never goes great in the end and part of the reason that but to be fair to Schleeman it's not like there was it's not like archaeology was really an ethical thing during this time anyways it wasn't really and he, and really it wasn't even really a a science. It wasn't really a, yeah. a, a, a discipline in the way that it is today. Yeah. So, for instance, one of the things that people – one of the things that becomes really common during this time period that we talked about with our in our interview with Jeb Card is uh, smuggling artifacts. Yes. Right? Yes. And, and, and going to countries and kind of tricking the host country and saying, no, if we find anything, you guys get first crack at it, and then it it's some – you know – Somehow the mummies leave Egypt, right? They they end up in the British Museum and they're like, where did we get those things? That's crazy. What? You know, um, or or, you know, they're paying um, they're paying the people who are working these dig sites. You know, they, they constantly have to pay them not to steal stuff because, um, you know. In a right, no, you know, so with, paying with, them nothing, yes. right, right. But without this guy being there, those people would be uh, selling antiquities to people like Schleeman. You know, so yes. it's an interesting kind of situation going on during this time period where archaeology at this time period is a lot more like grave robbing <laughs> and looting. You know, like really profitable grave. Robbing. Yeah, which which kind of sucks, kinda right? What it is. But that's kind of what it is. It's right. Like they don't really – I mean I think that there is – and again, I think the lens of this romanticized idea and this very colonial idea of antiquity and sort of the ancient time has affected that, right? Like they're not wanting to see what they're actually excavating. They're digging for something. Right. Which they could dig over or ignore actual artifacts. Right. And that's – a lot of it. And that's really kind of the crux of the issue, right? Is like you said, um, and we're going to keep it in this home, right? They're not, they're digging to find something, mm-hmm. not digging to find everything, you know? Right. And so what it's digging to find is treasure. Right. So it's like, it's like that scene in the Simpsons when Homer's like in the basement digging the hole or I can't remember what, why this happens, but he's like digging or something is going on digging and they go through the the floor to like see what the ground looks like. And there's like a dinosaur, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and it's like, but that's not what you're looking for. So you're just like, what the hell is this crap? And you throw it away. Right. A lot yeah. of that was going on. So, yeah. uh, so he's a U.S. citizen in the 1850s. He goes back to Russia, retires at 36 and starts traveling the world and studying quote unquote, studying history. Yes. Travels to Greece, to Italy, to Scandinavia, to Germany, to Syria. Then uh, he goes to India, China, and Japan and ends up writing books about China and Japan. Um, And then, quote unquote, studies archaeology in Paris. But again, there wasn't. Right. But archaeology wasn't a thing, you know. I agree with you. I'm just saying, like. Yes. Yes. There's there's nothing that's like. No, saying yeah, quote unquote to, studied. Yeah. yeah, it's not this isn't yeah. like uh this isn't like, you know, oh, I studied I studied kung fu, you know, and then you're <laughs> you know, it's like a third grader or whatever. This isn't like that, right? He did study it, there just wasn't a lot there at the time. Um finally in 1868, he decides to go to Greece. Yes. And so Marie, pick it up from there. 
Well, so 18, so 1860, 1869, just as a quick step, as a quick step note, I mean, he divorces the the first wife. Right. Right, But, right. But she, yeah, she can get bent though. (laughs) Schleeman. He's Schleeman her. Got her. All right. He, yeah, he divorces, he divorces Ekaterina because she's like, she's like, I don't want to go to, you know, I'm sure with a much thicker Russian accent. She's like, you know. I do not want to go. What is this? We going Whoa! again? So yeah, right. that's my that's as good as. But so here's don't you thing, feel bad digging up the bones? <laughs> and he's the like, bones no! of your ancestors. What? No. Um, I sell them. So, so she was Orthodox. She was Orthodox uh, Russian, and it would have been impossible for uh, divorce in in conservative Russian culture. Right. right. So, but. He's not a Russian anymore. He's an American because he still has citizenship here. So he comes to the United States to uh, to Indiana, which at the time was a place known, and this is a quote from our source, known as a place of easy divorces. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Indiana. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure they lo- I'm sure they loved having that on the state on the- coin. Uh, yes, I was going to say, that's on, that's on their bumper sticker. Indiana. Divorces. Uh, yeah. Easy divorces. Right. So, but, so <laughs> he just, so basically he, he fakes, he fakes five years of residency with false witnesses. So he bribes people to say that he's been living there for five years. He buys a home, spreads around some money, gets his lawyers, and then boom, divorced. And, right. and then he he flips it around and gets a mail order bride. Right. And the cool thing about divorce at this time period is that it took so long for information to travel. Well, you can imagine, right? She's in Russia. He's in Indiana. He decides I'm getting divorced. She doesn't find out for like a year. <laughs> Probably faster than that. But, you know, that's right. It's crazy, I mean, right? Like, you know, she's in Russia just like he's probably dead. And, uh, you know, I hope she With the kids, I, right? Raising the kids. Right. I hope she moved you on. Know. So uh, no. anyway, so, yeah, so he he decides to he's now, a, you know, kind of a free man, I guess you'd say. Um, and then he finds <laughs> Sophie or he I should say he selects Sophie. He, you know, is um, uh, he places an advertisement in an Athens newspaper for a bride because he also besides finding Troy and pillaging Troy he also has the dream of finding a Greek wife which I guess the two things go hand in hand I didn't know that you know that was sort of I didn't get any of that in any of my classes but that's that is how it's done Chris it's how it's done you go after Troy you have to get the Greek wife and she can't be older than 20 she's over 20 no good he's a homer boo back Marie, he's a homer abu. Do you know what a do you know what a weeaboo is? He's, he's a he's a Troy abu. So a weeaboo a, a weeaboo is a, is like a weeaboo is someone who's like super obsessed with like Japan and like anime and all that kind of stuff or whatever. Oh God. Um, he's like obs- He's like the same level of like annoying obsessiveness with Troy. <laughs> he's like that's so annoying. It's so annoying. He's the worst kind of nerd. All right. So, yeah. So, so it, it, she has to be. She has to be beautiful. So he. Oh, of course. He yeah. Goes, yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, no, have you no have you seen a picture chicks, of Schleeman? Right? Yeah. Exactly. 
what a catch. Um, yeah, he's a Greek god right there. Um, no, no fat basically, chicks in, in Greek. No, no fat chicks in Greek. Yeah, how do you say that in Greek? Uh, oh. What's the Homeric phrase for, you know, rosy-fingered dawn, you know, brave uh, brave Achilles, loyal loyal uh, lieutenant, and no fat chicks. Um, right. So he stipulates, you know, in, in all of his advertising and to, you know, and to the people that he's, you know, soliciting to help find the wife. She should be beautiful, well-educated, and enthusiastic about Homer. Right. She's got a lot must love dogs. No, loves must be enthusiastic enthusiastic about Homer. So basically he then looks at all these pictures, you know, again, this is exactly how yeah, his like I can't even believe that this is I well of course of course it happened. Uh and he finds Sophia, right? Which is a great Greek name. Sophia, I'm not even gonna try and pronounce her last name, but she's seventeen years old, thirty years younger than Sleeman at this point, educated. You know, she's she is uh, reported to have been eager to marry into great riches, which, OK, um, and she can recite Homer and has an enthusiastic, you know, enthusiasm for art, uh, for archaeology. Hmm. So it's it's just uh, it sounds it does sound like in, you know, and again, in some of the sources we've read that Sophia was a more. Uh, did have some more of a true interest than his first wife in archaeology and in ancient Greece. I can't imagine it was, you know, that she was too enthusiastic, but I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's weird. I, well, you know, the thing is that oh. I'm sure the first wife thought she was just marrying someone super into guns, you know? <laughs> and then, and then. He starts bringing up, you know, his day equivalent of like anime and manga and stuff. And she's <laughs> like, I'm out. This is terrible. This is the worst. You know, it's like it's like <sighs> with it's like with my wife. Uh, you know, she married me. She did not think that podcasting would become a thing. Now she can't she can't shut me up about it. It's great. <laughs> um, so, by the way, the way that you say no fat cheeks, no fat chicks in Greek is Ochi contras copeles. Oh God! Please um, don't tweet at us. We're joking. We're not trying to fat course, shame anyone. Of course, anyone. we're joking. We're Schleiman just, is a terrible, are... disgusting Schleiman's nerd. F- he's not the he's worst. He's not even person. a disgusting nerd. Like I would much sooner have him be a nerd. He seems like a real douche. You he know, does like, seem like he a seems real like somebody douche. who's bought, who's bought his way into. Uh, some sort of authenticity, which is even the worst thing. Like to that he fa- that he actually believes that he is owed this in some ways. That he is going to do this, and that this is his calling, and he's in this Homeric vision of himself is such denial. It's such like self. Like he's so delusional that it's 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 just sort of it's it's funny in some ways, but then he actually does. The, the thing that kind of like is even more insane is that he actually does find Troy. <laughs> he actually does. Well, he doesn't find it. He rediscovers it. Right. Well, place that everybody said it was, but he gets credit for it. And he did, he did discover, he did discover some of it. Right. So, well, so what I'm begrudgingly so, talking about this now. Yeah. Like, like in many ways, like, um, 
like this is a why lot- we can't have nice things. This is why no, we no. can't have nice things. Well, so this is where we we start off with a really great story, and then these people just turn out to be douches. Well, so in a in a very I would say in a very similar way to like you know, um, if you read any of like the original history of like punk rock, right? Um, oh, you know, God. none of the none of yeah. the like they no one none of them dressed like that until they met no. like Malcolm McLaren, right? Right. Well, Malcolm. Um, oh yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, that was so a totally like, manufactured thing. That was a boy band, right? Sorry, exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, in many ways, it's the same kind of thing here, where he thinks he's got the looks, he's got the the theory, everything else, all this other stuff. He really wants to get in there, but just like with Malcolm McLaurin, all of that is just talk. You know, it's all just talk yep. until you meet someone who can really do it, right? Yes, and so. Uh, just like McLaurin, you know, had the New York Dolls and the Sex Pistols, Schleeman will have his Calvert. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so Schleeman mm-hmm, will mm-hmm. now. He's in Greece. Dirtfelt and Calvin. Right. right. He's he's, them, he's yeah. got his he's got his Greek the weird Greek wife thing going on. Right. Um. He's in Greece. He's he's gotten all the kind of groundwork going. And he starts asking around and finding people who have made inroads in the kind of things that he's interested in. Right. Mm-hmm. And so he's talking, you know, he's trying to find out who's been looking for Troy, uh, you know, investigating ancient Greek history and the Homeric, you know, Homeric tradition and everything else. And he comes upon these two people. And that is kind of the start of a, 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 I hesitate to say good relationship or good working relationship, but mm-hmm. I will say I will say one that ends up being productive and also yes. pretty destructive. Yes. And that, yes. dear listeners, is where we're going to pick up next episode. Yes. Until then, don't tweet at us. <laughs> <laughs> for 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 defaming punk rock or or uh, Kylie Jenner or, or fat shaming or right. Kylie Jenner. Oh, dude, this is not a good start for 2020. We got to been rough. Back. We got to get been some, rough. Marie. We got to, we got to get some, uh, we got to get some stuff we're positive about in here. I know I'm telling you, here. we got to be more, we got to be much more positive. Woo! Woo! No, we don't. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. Oh, hell no. Thank you again, dear listeners. We'll be back next week with the conclusion of our series. On Thank you again, dear listeners, for listening to the Mad Scientist Podcast. I have been your host, Chris Cogswell, joined by my co-host, Marie Mayhew. If you'd like to contact the show, please send us an email at themadscientistpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word. You can also follow us on Twitter at MadScientistPod or at Team Giant Squid for Marie. And of course, you can see us on Facebook, on Instagram, and all over the internet as the Mad Scientist Podcast. And again, our logo is the one with the pumpkin head, so it's easy to see. Mm-hmm. If you've enjoyed the show tonight, please consider supporting us on Patreon, where the money that you give to us will help us to promote this show further, to make it better, and just to spend more time making it. We love doing that. We do love doing that. Our logo was designed by Carrie Shaheen. Our web design is done by Desdemona Howard. And our sound design is done by Jake Cardinal. 
Thanks again for listening. <laughs> Thank you. This has been a damn it chippy production. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.